Our podcast is brought to you by That's a Sum Pizza. Using a 120-year-old starter from the Klondike Gold Rush, they make unique sourdough crusts that can't be found anywhere else in the world. That's a Sum Pizza also delivers wine and beer. Call 206-842-2292. Order online at thatsasum.com or download That's a Sum Pizza app on Android and iOS. Congratulations to the team of Alan Raymond and Will Grant, who brought home the first place trophy from the recent Caputo Cup at the Pizza and Pasta Show in Atlantic City. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance, we help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206 206- 451-4220. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. Welcome, Podcastville. You found the Bystander Podcast. Today, our guest is Good Space Guy. How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing quite well. This is my first time to Bainbridge Island, and uh, I uh, feel like a tourist. So uh, it was sort of a really fun ride on the ferry uh, across the Sound from downtown Seattle to a really changed pace of uh, downtown Bainbridge yeah, it's a little less pacey, isn't it? It's relaxing and beautiful. Yeah, I wish I had the whole day to show you around. Um, tell us what you're doing right now. What's up? What's going on? Why are you here, you think? Well, I keep seeing so many unemployed homeless people. And so that gives me great concern because it shouldn't be. 
there's causes. Oftentimes, it's government that uh, causes uh, many of our problems. And then government uses the wrong solutions to try to solve it. But uh, a significant cause of uh, homelessness and unemployment is the minimum wage. The minimum wage is a tool of the command economy. So we, we have the command economy on one, one end of the spectrum, and we have the free market economy on the other end of the spectrum. And uh, the economy that produces the highest living standard is the free market economy. And uh, so when government interferes with the free market uh, by establishing a minimum wage, this for- forbids problem people to gain work. And uh, so when the problem people can't get work, uh, they s- f- sometimes become homeless. And uh, so the minimum wage is creating homelessness. And uh, the uh, homeless people, they need money. So some of them turn to welfare and some of them turn to crime. And some of them turn to both welfare and crime. And I want to raise up the living standards significantly, not only in space, but also on Earth. I, I, I ask people to re- refer to um, our Earth, our planet, as a spaceship, a spaceship Earth, because we're traveling through space uh, around the sun once a year, and with the sun we're traveling inside the Milky Way galaxy. So we are on a spaceship built by nature. And so we are the passengers and the crew of Spaceship Earth. So we should, when we discover that some bad laws like the minimum wage has created unemployment and thus homelessness and thus raised the crime level, we should speak out against it. So I'm speaking out against uh, the command economy and its instrument, the minimum wage. So you're currently running for U.S. Senate office. Um, Are these the type of things that are the most dear and strongest part of your mission statement? I would say combating the minimum wage is uh, significant. Uh, Once we get rid of the minimum wage and replace it with the free market uh, setting of the wages by supply and demand, it becomes much, much easier to get work. And thus, the pressure that people feel at work becomes less. And so work can become more pleasant once we go to the free market wages rather uh, than the command economy's minimum wage. So the command economy's minimum wage increases stress at work when the command economy's minimum wage is above the free market uh, wage rate for some individuals. Now, there are other individuals who... Uh, have already built their skills and knowledge and responsibility so they earn more than the minimum wage. So it's not a problem for them, except they might get mugged. So when the people who earn more than the minimum wage get mugged, I'd say the minimum wage is a problem for them too. So with such discrepancy in earning potential between skilled and non-skilled labor, how do you see getting rid of the minimum wage, um, transferring into a modern society now. How do we go from the standard of having minimum wage now and changing that? Well, the, the standard of, of uh, the minimum wage now is that we have more crime and we have the ugliness of homelessness. Uh, so 
if we simply abolish the minimum wage law so that we allow the free market to come in and function, uh, it should uh, start raising the living standard immediately, um, almost immediately as people find it uh, easier and easier. So as people with problems, let's call them problem people, as problem people find it suddenly easier to get jobs where they can't get jobs now, uh, each job, let's consider each job to be like a classroom and that each job that uh, each individual has or has had is a classroom where they've learned how to do certain things. So um, once a person gets in a job, they're learning and uh, the learning increases their skills and the skills increase their market value. So, so if somebody's homeless and, and unskilled and there's no minimum wage, wouldn't they be at the lower earning potential? That's correct. So if how do, how do they come up from that homeless situation with the low earning potential to compete with the people that have the standard wage of a decent living condition? Yeah. Well, the thing that generates jobs is called profit. So there's a lot of profit out there for businesses to earn in the free market economy. So the, the command economy is not, does not have the same incentive as the free market economy has. The free market economy, the business uh, people, the business managers, the business owners, they say there's profit to be made in my field if I can find a way to serve the uh, customer. And uh, I need to hire people uh, to operate my equipment and my, my plant and my business and to render the services that my business gives to the consumer. So the, the business people are, are thinking, 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 how can I serve my customers better? And everyone has some market, well, almost everyone has some market value. So the... Uh, problem people, their market value is significantly lower than the minimum wage. So the minimum wage has the effect of saying to these problem people, you are not worth the minimum wage. You may not work. So the effect of the minimum wage is to forbid people with problems uh, to work. They just can't get jobs because of some of the problems that they have. And once, once you uh, abolish the minimum wage, and go to the free market wage for that individual, suddenly the fact that that individual, in spite of their problems, has a productive uh, ability, uh, they can sell, sell their, uh, their time and uh, services for their low market uh, rate. And as they get more experience in the job market, their confidence begins to build Instead of living in a doorway or in a uh, tent of um, plastic, uh, suddenly they begin to get an income where they can buy more of the things that they they want uh, rather than get the money to buy it through uh, illegal means. Besides getting rid of the minimum wage, what other solutions do you see when it comes to homelessness? Uh, the minimum wage is the main barrier that I've been concentrating on. Uh, so there's other problems that problem people have that people of other expertise c can uh, deal with. So the uh, mental problems 
are to be dealt with with people who have experienced uh, uh, in psychology, etc. So my, my studies have been in economics. So once we take this economic burden off uh, of the minimum wage off the uh, homeless people, uh, they have less of a problem to deal with. And uh, some of them can recover quickly. And some with uh, severe addictions, etc., it'll take them longer to recover. But at least they won't have uh, be at least they won't be forbidden to work by the minimum wage. So the minimum wage is really, really bad because it forbids people to work. And, and in my way of thinking, that should be unconstitutional. It should be unconstitutional to forbid to pass a law that forbids people to work. Let me um, back up a little bit and find out a little bit about your upbringing and your education. You said you have a background in economics. Tell me a little bit about your childhood and where you grew up. Well, I was born in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, mom, uh, mom suffered during the Depression. Dad didn't suffer as much in the Depression as mom did because uh, dad uh, was always out looking for opportunities to earn money. Uh, his father, my grandfather, was uh, owned his own truck, so he had a trucking business. And uh, my father always was looking for things that he could do to be helpful, mowing lawns, uh, uh, etc. So, um, so my dad always had money from the various odd jobs that he did, and um, he he was uh, drafted into the Second World War, and uh, mother uh, moved us from uh, Minneapolis out to Seattle to Renton, Renton, Washington where she helped build the bombers. So dad f- f- fought the uh, not- Nazis, uh, and mom built the airplanes uh, to uh, help bomb the Nazis. And after dad won the war, <laughs> uh, we uh, moved to Germany. So uh, dad and we became part of the occupation force of the American zone in southern Germany. And so I went to elementary school there. and. Uh, then uh, when your dad decided to make the military his career, and so we moved around. So we moved to Maryland. Uh, he was transferred to the state of Maryland. Then we were transferred back out to uh, uh, the Seattle-Tacoma area again. And uh, so this is the third time I've been living out here. So once for... Uh, kindergarten and in Renton, Washington, and then uh, for high school in Lakewood, Washington, and uh, then uh, uh, moved out here for the third time in about um, 77, somewhere around there. Taking a bigger picture, and I also think that, you know, we're just a blip on this radar of just a huge, everlasting area, you know, and our space and time on this earth is very short, and what we do with it... I was thinking of going for 200 years. Nice. In good health. Yeah, good health, because I don't want to stick around in bad health for mm. 200 years. Now, they say people could have the capacity, their body could have the capacity to live to be about 120 if everything, all the ducks were in a row, but now there's some more science out there. Of course, you can't fact-check me on this, but... 
that that might even have a, a longer extension. How do you see this earth shaping up in the next 500 years? Well, we should shape it up really quickly because I, I, I think it'd be a good idea if uh, our high schools taught economics before they graduated their students because economics tells us how the economy works. And when you are operating in a re republic, a democracy in a republic, uh, it's really important that each citizen have knowledge of how our economy works so they can avoid the mistakes that are currently creating so much poverty. So uh, if, if more of our citizens, if more of our voters study economics either on their own or in high school, uh, I think we'll have a more prosperous nation right, really quickly because often much of the poverty that we're experiencing is caused by a lack of knowledge of economics. Why, why do you think we don't study economics more? I puzzled over that, and I have not got a good, I have not received a good answer. So that's a good question. Yeah, that's it, a question we should a ask of uh, people around us. Now, you had talked about space exploration and colonization of Earthlings elsewhere, and specifically in space, not necessarily on a on a planet. Correct. Correct. Uh, so. The colonization of space in the future will mainly uh, occur in orbit, in orbit around the Earth and in orbit around the Sun. The, uh, there's the Goldilocks zone where the temperature is just right around the Sun, and the Earth is in that Goldilocks zone. Mars is just sort of on the outside the Goldilocks zone, on the cold side, and Venus, the planet Venus, is... Ins inside the zone where it's too hot. So the only planet in the Goldilocks zone is the Earth. So Venus is too hot, Mars is too cold, the Earth is in just the right place. So uh, I, I want us to first start the orbital space colonization right around the Earth uh, before we go to Mars. So before we go to Mars, I want us to learn how to live in space so that uh, when we do go to Mars, uh, we won't have to send a rescue mission out, out to rescue the people that have gone, gone there before we've learned to live in space. So the, the, and I'm sort of an expert at finding a cheaper way of doing things. So instead of wasting a lot of taxpayers' money to go out to Mars now, I want us to use the taxpayers' money to uh, send up uh, habitats into Earth orbit, habitats that are privately owned, for example, by our bil billionaires. So right now, space is expensive, but billionaires can afford uh, habitats. And when I say the word habitat, think a house in space. So, when, so each habitat can be like a different house in space and uh, owned by billionaires or by businesses. And these privately owned uh, habitats or houses in space can be joined together to form a small village. Uh, uh, very small compared to uh, the village of Bain Bainbridge. 
So Bainbridge is a large village compared to what I'm recommending as a, st a starter settlement in space. So if we started that, why would we need to go to Mars after that if we could colonize uh, the space around the Earth and Sun? Yes. So the main uh, colonies will be in orbit around the Sun. So we'll, we'll start in orbit around the Earth because that's, that's the cheapest place to get to. And uh, once we've learned how to live in orbit around, this, uh, around the Earth, then many private individuals and companies will establish their habitats and their villages in orbit around the sun because there's so much energy that misses the earth from the sun. So the sun is putting out all this energy that we can harvest. So the habitats will be able to harvest the energy uh, in orbit around the sun. And uh, so that's the uh, first step in... Um, building a successful uh, wider civilization. Right, right now, when we go far out in the solar system with our ro robotic probes and take a picture of er Earth, Earth is just a tiny, tiny dot. And all our civilization is on that tiny, tiny dot in orbit around the sun. But uh, once the uh, colonization of Earth orbit and then... Uh, the orbit of the sun becomes successful, we will have spread our civilization out into a wider space. So the dinosaurs were wiped out by a killer asteroid. And it's projected that someday a killer asteroid will again strike the Earth. But when we have our uh, civilization spread out into orbit around the sun, uh, the kill killer asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs a duplicate killer asteroid will not wipe us out. Well, space garbage and asteroids could also go through that colony, correct? Uh, right. That's what's one of the things that we have to uh, learn how to protect ourselves from. So when we learn how to live in space, we have to learn how to protect uh, the different methods of protecting ourselves from, from uh, uh, asteroids and meteor meteors. Uh, and comets and uh, instead of uh, having them to be a threat for us we have to learn how to capture them and mine them away and transform them into enlarged uh, space habitats you think that's there's a chance to harness the energy of one of the, one of those things coming into atmosphere right uh, so once we learn how to live in space then when uh, we detect an asteroid coming towards the earth we'll be able to send our robotic probes out and uh, capture that asteroid or that comet or that meteor and um, bring it into a proper orbit for mining it and using its resources. So there's a lot of resources to be uh, mined in the asteroid belt, and some of those uh, resources sometimes come close to Earth. And when they do, we, I want us to be ready to capture it and, and uh, convert it into additional space habitats. Last couple of questions on this topic. Um, oxygen and water, how do you supply the colony with those two okay. necessary items? Yeah, so uh, water consists of oxygen and hydrogen, and uh, we'll simply re recycle and recycle. So right now at the International Space Station, they, they recycle their urine into drinking water. And so, uh, and 
if we capture comets, comets are th- thought to contain a lot of water, so we can take the water of the comets and supply our col- space colonies with with that water that we find in the in the comets, and the minerals uh, uh, in the asteroids uh, can be. We can take the the stone out of the asteroids, the the metals out of the asteroids for raw materials, and. Uh, in the future, once we learn how to live in space, how to create centrifugal force, they'll be the, they'll be the, be the main type of colonization of space. We don't have much of a future uh, colonizing the surface of Mars, but we can uh, put orbits uh, colonies in orbit orbit around Mars. And the reason we don't have much of a future in colonizing Mars is Mars only has one-third gravity, and the Moon has about one-sixth gravity. And for uh, health, healthy people, we need to have full, full gravity. So we need to spend, spin our uh, colonies. And so we, we can sp- spin our colonies in orbital space, but uh, on Mars and on the Moon, we're condemned to the slower uh, gravity that human beings will become weaker in the longer they spend on the surface of Mars or the surface of the Moon, they become weaker and weaker because it's just not enough gravity to stress our bodies properly. That's why the main uh, colonies are going to be in, in orbital space around the Sun. That's where the main main colonies are going to be. And oxygen. Prob- uh, well, how are we gonna how are we gonna breathe? Yeah. yeah so so in the colonies, the colonies will be enclosed, of course. And the uh, water will be spl- split into uh, oxygen and hydrogen, and the hydrogen hydrogen can be used as fuel, and the oxygen we can breathe. So kind of like a biodome yeah. dome and, and, in space. And, and we'll have a lot of carbon di- dioxide. We'll need a lot of carbon dioxide for the plants in the greenhouses, because basically we we were animal forms, and animal forms eat plant life. So we're going to have to build a healthy uh, greenhouse uh, industry of plants, and plants need carbon dioxide. So we want not only oxygen and water, but we're going to want carbon dioxide also. What is the future for Earth? Uh, the, right now I'm, I'm concerned about we're wiping out the wildlife of Earth. Our population on Earth has exceeded 7 billion and we're headed towards 8 billion people on earth and this is just too many people for earth we need to get those people up we need to learn how to live in space and get this excess population up into the uh, uh, space colonies around the sun uh, so that earth can become a uh, paradise zoo so earth can be returned to its paradise status of the garden of eden um, so you had an idea about a birth fee to control population, correct? Not many people know that. I try to do my homework. Yes, you've uh, uh, Timothy. You've done your homework well. <laughs> I, I Can you explain to the people what a birth fee looks like? Well, what is your favorite form of taxes? Uh, when when you when we the citizens demand government services. Say a police force, a military, um, roads, libraries. 
we have all these these wants that that have to be paid for by taxes. So is your favorite tax the sales tax, which is paid by people when they want to buy something? Is your favorite tax the real estate tax? Is your favorite tax the income tax? Or would your favorite tax be a birth tax? Usually you get less of what you tax. So when you tax uh, people, which uh, is a head tax, um, which I actually suggested a head tax many years ago. So this head tax that was recently discussed in this, by the city of Seattle, that is not a head tax, that's a job tax. Yeah. So, so the city council did not, was not introducing a head tax, they were introducing a, a job tax. It didn't last long. Yes, because uh, job week, taxes right? are really a bad idea. You, yeah. If you tax jobs, you get less jobs. And if you tax, tax heads, you get less heads. So uh, if you establish a head tax on people for themselves and each ch- child that they have, there's an inclination for them to have less children. Is that a one-time tax or every year? Well, e- each jur- uh, jurisdiction uh, on our spaceship Earth decides to do things different ways. So, uh, so, so it'd be up to state? It up to be the local jurisdiction, how they decide to do it, whether they decide to do it or not. So a head tax should be on everyone. Uh, and you, should, you can decide whether you prefer a head tax or a real estate tax or a sales tax or an income tax or inheritance tax or a due, uh, um, an item tax. Uh, so each, each community in our democracy around Spaceship Earth will come up with a different variation. So the concept is that if we tax people, we'll get less people. And uh, if we tax children, uh, tax parents for the children they have, they'll have less children. And, uh, but my main me- method of uh, decreasing the overpopulation of Spaceship Earth um, is to uh, raise the living standard. So I'm advocating the raising the living standard because when people become wealthier, they tend to have less children. And uh, so right now, with 8 billion people on the planet, we have had to take much of the wilderness and convert it to farmland. So as our population on Earth, on Spaceship Earth continues to increase, more and more of the wilderness is transformed into farmland to feed this growing people, numbers of people. And so the... Uh, the uh, Wildlife has uh, is losing their habitat. That's why we're exterminating the wildlife. So many, many of the uh, animals are on the verge of extinction, and some some animals have already been uh, exterminated. Uh, and so, if, if we don't take steps rapidly, we're going to lose many of our wild wild creatures. And I think we're we're supposed to be. Uh, Caretakers of, our, of the wildlife, not yeah, stewards. Ex- yeah, stewards of the wildlife of Spaceship Earth, not exterminators of the wildlife. Right. Regarding big farming, um, dirt versus topsoil, and global cooling and global warming, what as patrons or stewards of this Earth would you like to see changed on a big scale? Changed on a big scale. 
Where where's so, our energy go? Is is it towards climate change? Is it towards taking care of the soil, preserving natural water springs? I, I don't see a problem here. Uh, energy equals mass. Mass equals energy. So the physical mass that we see around us, like the chairs, the tables, these are all forms of energy. And uh, energy can be changed to mass, and mass can be changed to energy. So we, uh, for our purposes, we have an abundance of energy. And we have just a huge amount of energy coming off the sun waiting for us to harvest it. So I see no problem with energy. You, you were just talking about carbon uh, as, it, as it relates. Do you feel like... Carbon dioxide. Yeah. Do you feel like we are, as humans, contributing to um, hurting the ozone layer and climate control of warming and, and cooling down in areas? Well, the climate on Spaceship Earth is ma- mainly determined by the energy output of the sun. Now, the sun is so massive about 99% of all the things of our solar system have fallen into the sun. So the sun makes up uh, roughly 99% of our whole solar system. So 99% in the sun and 1% orbiting the sun. So our, our planets, our moons, our asteroids, our comets, our meteors, our, the gas, that orbits the sun is only about 1%. Um, so, um, and carbon dioxide is very, very good. Plants love carbon dioxide. And uh, life on Earth is plant-based. So the carbon dioxide, which makes up less than 1% of our atmosphere, is essential to the plants of our spaceship Earth. So the plants pull in the... Uh, through their leaves, for example, pull in the carbon dioxide, and with the roots they lift up the water from the soil, and they combine it, and they, the plants separate the car, uh, carbon and the uh, o- oxygen. So from the carbon dioxide, the plants separate and give back to us the oxygen, and they use the carbon to build a plant. And uh, so the ancient coal came from the plants of, uh, of millions and millions of years ago. And uh, so carbon dioxide is really important. Uh, a, a war on carbon dioxide is a war on life. So the plants are the foundation of land-based life. Well, you, you, you talk about harvesting the sun's power. How do you feel about coal mining and fracking and fossil fuels in general. Yes. So the earth is uh, slow in making these uh, resources for us. So uh, nature has built these resources for us to use. So, uh, and it's continuing to uh, build these resources. But uh, I think most of the, uh, in the space colonies, most of the energy will come from the sun. So we'll, We'll, with solar cells, we'll convert the sunlight to electricity. And with mirrors, we'll reflect the light from the sun uh, to build, for example, steam power. 
so we'll, we'll use solar panels for harvesting uh, energy from the sun, and we'll use uh, mirrors to harvest energy from the sun. So uh, there's no shortage of energy. Do you think in the meantime, harvesting these resources is damaging our planet? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, uh, it's just part of the, uh, the, the, the coal and the gases and the natural gas, the coal, are just an, a component of, uh, uh, of the earth. And they're mining the iron ore, mining the co- copper ore, mining the b- various metals, mining the coal, m- mining uh, the natural gas. It's just an intelligent thing to do. But uh, as, as things become scarcer, the price will increase. And we always use a, a price in the free market economy to balance. So we try to come in the free market economy. We try to balance to find the cheapest way of producing our products that the consumer wants. So the consumer uh, leads our economy in the free market economy. And uh, uh, if uh, mining the uh, the coal and natural gas is the cheapest way, that's the way we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to find the cheapest way of getting the products that the consumer wants to the consumer. How do you feel about recycling? Is that something oh, we I should lo- do? I, I love it. Re- recycling will be primarily de- uh, developed in the uh, space colonies. I, I really dislike the destruction. So right now we are taking all this material that, that we call garbage, uh, unneeded stuff uh, in uh, at the International Space Station and uh, throwing it back into the atmosphere to burn burn up. Well, that cost us a lot of money to get this this material that is now called garbage up into orbit. When we spend so much of the taxpayers' money to get this stuff up into orbit, we should keep it in orbit. So in the uh, future colonies, we're going to have great warehouses in which we keep all the garbage until we find a way to recycle it. So all the broken items, all the machines that are worn out, all the tools that are worn out should be kept in in various warehouses in orbit, orbital warehouses, until we can recycle it. This is valuable stuff since it's in orbit. I feel like we have littered outer space already with cell satellites, um, ships, the whole shebang, and that stuff's just floating and could cause damage to any small star, planet, atmosphere if the the right things happen. Do you feel like there's too much space junk? Uh, Well, uh, space junk is a resource. And so... But it's expensive to collect harvest. Uh, to harvest. So uh, w- one of the industries will be the harvesting of space junk to bring it to the storage facilities of the space colonies where it can be kept until it's recycled. So uh, uh, in the recycling technology uh, and industry, we want to recycle the space junk. We don't want to burn it up in the atmosphere. We so if it's up to me, we no more throwing things back in the atmosphere to burn up. We we keep this 
at our uh, space colonies. We keep this at the International Space Station. Uh, It's valuable valuable because it was so expensive to get in orbit. So once we get something in orbit, we keep it in orbit. We don't just uh, throw it back down to Earth, which is sort of a slap in the face to the taxpayers. Do we put up a trading post sign for aliens to come get our secondhand space junk? Oh, yes. I spread the message to the aliens that there's really good bargains to be uh, uh, obtained at the International Space Station and and at the new habitats. Now opening in space. It will. Let's get back down here on Earth for a little bit because the colonization is a long-term plan, solution, however you want to look at it. You're running for U.S. Senate in Washington State. Um, can you give us a little bit of history of, about when and why you got into politics and what keeps you going in this realm? And specifically, why is the U.S. Senate position an attractive position for you to make a difference in? Well, when I was uh, in kindergarten, uh, Dad was drafted into World War II. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, Mother moved us from Minneapolis to the Seattle Renton area uh, where she helped build the bombers. Uh, And I remember us sitting uh, in our house in Renton, my cousin and I, drawing uh, uh, unflattering pictures of Hitler and Mussolini. Uh, Isn't any picture unflattering? (laughs) uh, Yeah, and... uh, so, um, right away, I was concerned about international uh, politics and affairs because the international problems of, this, of the Second World War took my dad away from me for several years and uh, caused us to move from Minneapolis to, uh, to Renton. Um, and so, so, I became conscious of world politics and then in, in Germany, when we were part of the occupation force of southern Germany, I was really impressed with how rapidly, under um, Ludwig Erhard, the Germans recovered uh, from the war de- devastation. So uh, Germany was just destroyed by our, our bombings. And then under Ludwig Erhard, in about 1948, uh, he, I believe... Um, I'm not sure on if this is correct, but I believe he abolished price controls. And once Ludwig Erhard, the uh, economic minister of Germany, uh, abolished price controls, the German economy just took off and began the German economic miracle. And uh, later when I studied uh, economics at the university, I thought, oh, some of my previous ideas were wrong. In high school, I hadn't been taught economics. And so I had concepts that uh, after studying economics, I believe my, uh, my beliefs in high school were partly wrong. And uh, so uh, in church, I was taught, uh, I, I was raised in the Protestant Lutheran ch- church, and I was taught we're supposed to help so we're trying to, trying to make a better, better planet. And so economics seems to, to be the science that tells us 
how to produce the economy that re- produces the higher living standard. And uh, so uh, we're, we're supposed to make our garden of uh, Eden. Uh, let's bring back our garden of Eden. Um, what was the tipping point that made you actually sign on the dotted line to enter into the public service realm and say, uh, you know, I'm up for consideration. I'm going to make this an honest effort. Well, this is the 19th time I'm running for public office. The first time I ran for uh, uh, the, the House uh, as a representative, the uh, Washington State House, and I won the uh, primary. I, re- I won the primary with two-thirds of the vote. But then in the general election, I lost to the Democratic incumbent. And so I won the primary with two-thirds of the vote, and in the uh, uh, general election, the incumbent won with two-thirds of the vote. Uh, so, I, so it was re- reversed. Um, and what made me run for that? Well, I, I thought, well, here I've done all this study, years and years of study. So I, I've studied so many subjects on how to improve things. And uh, the reason you, one studies things like economics is to effect change, in, in improvement, to raise the living standard. Uh, and uh, so I think that must have been, it, it, it was time. It was a time to get in and try to raise the living standard. But unfortunately, the voters didn't agree. And so uh, in my 19 ra- uh, races, other people have been uh, elected, but they've never implemented the raise in the living standard that I wanted to raise. So the, the problems continue. So for years and years, I've been uh, telling people, that the uh, minimum wage kills jobs. But many people who uh, uh, haven't studied economics do not understand how, how badly the minimum wage kills jobs. So by raising the cost of, uh, of uh, doing things, the profit margin is decreased. And as the pro- profits become squeezed, jobs disappear. And uh, it's not off, often visible, visible, but when you squeeze profits, you're squeezing jobs. So when profits are down, layoffs are up. And when profits are up, uh, j- more jobs appear. So to have a full employment economy, which is everyone being able to find work easily, um, requires the defense of profit. And I didn't hear many of the people who have been elected defending profits. So profits are good. Profits are desirable. The higher the profits, the greater the number of the jobs. The lower the profits, the greater the number of layoffs. Um, so it's important for me and other people who understand economics, it's important for us to defend profits. And profits uh, direct us towards what the consumer wants. So the consumer makes some things more profitable and the consumer makes some things less profitable. So the free market economy is directed by the consumer by what they choose to spend their, their money on. And uh, as the business people see where the profits are the greater, 
they hire more people in that area to get uh, the goods and services to the consumer that the consumer desires. Now, you've ran for multiple offices under multiple parties. What do you think of the party system and how it's set up right now? Well, uh, so I, I've, I've run as a Democrat, I run as a Libertarian, I've run as a Republican. I've been in and out of the Republican Party. I keep coming back to the Republican Party because it seems that the Republican Party has a good understanding of economics, better, better understanding of economics than Democrats. And I think the Libertarians have a better understanding of economics than the Republicans. But unfortunately, we need the Libertarians in the Republican coalition. So the Democrats are a coalition, and the Republicans are a coalition. And we need more Libertarians in the Republican uh, coalition. Um, what party are you representing right now? Republican. Uh, so, Weren't you in some wealth party? Oh, Can yes. Can you explain that to me? Yes, I invented <laughs> You invented a party? Yes, I invented a party. How many people showed up for that party? I think it had one member. (laughs) Nice. Maybe two members, maybe three. Uh, But the Wealth and Workers Party. Uh, So I wanted to uh, emphasize the partnership between the workers and wealth. So um, when profits go up, more workers are hired. So it's a partnership. And uh, so the workers develop uh, skills. And, and when I say workers, I include management and the owners. So among the workers are the managers and, and the owners. They're all working to produce a better society. Uh, and uh, so in the Work and Wealth Party, I started thinking uh, Republican Party. So the, the, uh, today the Work and Wealth Party... Uh, the, the Republican Party should strive to become the Work and Wealth Party. Okay. Um, you famously uh, predicted Donald Trump would be our president a few yes. years wishful prior thinking. to it happening. My wishful thinking. And you declared all 50 states would also right. Right. elect Donald Trump. Where, where do you stand now? Okay, I was sad that uh, well, I was pleased that my prediction was correct that he was elected by by thirty of the fifty states, but I was sad that twenty of the states uh, voted for lies and corruption. I did, in my wishful thinking in support of Donald Trump, I didn't think that twenty states would vote for lies and corruption. How do you think he's getting on so far? I've been pleased. So. Uh, uh, He's one of the politicians who's carrying out more of my program than others. So uh, I feel closely aligned with uh, Donald. And when he had his rally in Everett, I went to his rally. And there was such a huge turnout. I was amazed. And uh, so I was pleased that he came and visited us in the Everett area. Oh, there's uh, another thing about Donald Trump that I'm pleased with. I'm pleased that he, he's open dialogue with North Korea uh, that might uh, bring, uh, bring North Korea into union with the South, Korea, South Koreans. And uh, 
if if he's successful in bringing North Korea into union with South Korea, the North Koreans can physically increase in height. The, the average North Korean is about three inches uh, shorter than the average South You're Korean. You're happy for like genetically modifying the society into taller well, it's people? it's called food. Food. Yeah, so the, if, if there's like East Germany uh, unified with West Germany to create the current Germany. So uh, they wanted a better soccer team. Yes, and uh, they've gotten a higher living standard in uh, in uh, East Germany because of their union with with West Germany. And if North Korea uh, unifies with South Korea, the North Koreans will get more food, and they'll be able to grow more. Okay, how do you feel about society and how we're dealing with discrimination and immigration in the United States? Well, the United States is known to be a melting pot, and each year we seem to melt more and more together. So uh, the integration has been uh, of the United States has been proceeding slowly, but steadily. So uh, generation after generation, we become more unified. And on Spaceship Earth, when you look down on, on Earth from space, you can't see the national borders. So uh, when you look at our spaceship Earth, there are no national borders, and that uh, foretells the future. We're all humans. Right. So the future is going to be a united uh, spaceship Earth, Uh, but it's going to come about slowly. Um, In that type of utopia that you speak of, is there still discrimination? Well, human beings by nature are discriminate. Uh, discriminatory so people say that they have discriminating taste but it'll be a more positive discriminating than uh, the old racial discrimination of the past where can people find out more about you www.colonizespace.blogspot.com So uh, the key word in my blog is colonized space. And anything else you want to talk about, Good Space Guy, before we head on out here? The future is going to be amazing. And uh, who will, which nation will be first to put their habitats into orbit around the Earth? In 1957, the backward Union of the Soviet Socialist Republics became the first nation to put to put Sputnik into orbit around the Earth. So the backward Soviet Union opened the space age and the space race in 1957. Now which country will be the first to put privately owned habitats into orbit? Will it be the United States or will we uh, sit back and again wait for some backward country to become first in space? I recommend that we become first in space. Do you think there's a possibility that it's privatized? Like Elon Musk is the guy and he's not affiliated with any country when he does it? I'm uh, really impressed with the billionaires who are uh, taking the lead in in uh, our space space efforts and so Elon Musk I'm pleased with him 
uh, uh, Richard uh, Branson is he in? Yes. So, so Paul I'm, Allen. So I, I'm uh, impressed with all the billionaires who are helping to advance us high up into into the sky. Good space. It was a pleasure meeting you. I hope you enjoy the island on the rest of the day. You've been listening to the Bystander. Be kind. <laughs>